The Creative Trust is a limited podcast series to celebrate 20 years of Gloss Creative. Together with our stellar alumni, we'll share everything we know to be true about the creative process and the business reality of running a small but powerful design platform. Two decades ago, I started Gloss Creative as my creative platform for experimentation and exploration. What has ensued has been an endlessly rewarding creation of ephemeral installations, each one put up, pulled down, each one leaving an enduring mark on its audience. I learned early on that I could make audiences fall in love with environments simply by making them feel and experience something memories that lasted long after the physical immersion had gone. It crystallized my long-held belief that your business plan is to harness your unbridled creative force and that creative renewal is your most powerful weapon over time. Welcome to the Creative Trust. The creative process. So what is it? How do you get it? How do you keep it and renew it over and over again? How can your creative process support your creative vision? Well, my answer simply, in summary, is see the end first. It's the most powerful tool you'll have. It helps you elevate your thinking, the impossible to become possible, vision to become creative clarity, and then that clarity somehow becomes designed reality. Today, I have Ross Sabatini with me. I met Ross in 2006 when my friend Cameron Comer introduced me to his friend, Bell Van Veska, who together started a graphic design studio called Sabatini Bell. They designed the most beautiful letterpress business card for us with an enormous letter G on it. And the rest is history. I'm keeping with my alternative bios today, partly because traditional bios are somewhat lengthy. And Ross has not supplied me with any bio information at all. The fact that Ross doesn't have a bio says a few things. And it's not that he is lazy. Put simply, he's under the radar. He always lets his work do the storytelling. His spectacular creative career as a graphic designer and now creative director has seen him work across a diverse set of agencies, retailers, creative houses, in micro-business and some super large organizations. Now as the head of visual merchandising, creative and innovation at David Jones nationally, he's brought a refreshing view on creative process and a strategic vision to influence a whole generation of creative colleagues. Ross worked with us at Gloss Creative, initially as a creative concept designer where we just couldn't get enough as his cool as graphic artwork. Ross was too busy for us then, often to our horror, announcing that he would need to finish soon about lunchtime as he was heading to the beach in the afternoon. But Steph D'Alberto and Tiffany Keel kept Ross very busy and eventually those incredible women got Ross converted to thinking in three dimensions. And then the magic began. Our studio was always better when Ross was in the house. His relaxed communication style, lack of ego, and even temperament were matched only by his incredible designer wardrobe. Welcome, Ross. Thank you, Amanda. Wow, what an introduction. Incredible. I'm pretty excited about today. Um, yeah, as I said before, you're always someone who's 
been pretty under the radar. I think a lot of people have experienced your work, but you're one of those people who's very much behind the scenes. Um, and you haven't really sort of bought yourself out into the light, really, about <laughs> what you do. So I'm hoping today everyone can learn a bit about the amazing creative career you've had. So I guess my first question is, how did you get creative? How did your childhood set you up for a creative life? Sure. Um, firstly, uh, before I answer that question, I just want to say congratulations on 20 years of Gloss oh, Creative. Thank you. It's no mean feat. 20 years uh, running your own creative business is um, yeah, a massive achievement. Thank you. Um, and as you said in the intro, I remember meeting you in 2006. I think you yep. rocked up to... Um, to our, our creative studio in Collingwood with uh, a very young Steph D'Alberto yeah. um, and you needed an identity and you showed us all this work that you worked on and I specifically remember um, the, the Moet Versailles marquee of and course. just thinking, wow, these guys need something really special. So, um, yeah, I guess that's where it all began. Um, yeah. How many years ago is that, 15 yeah, years ago? Yeah, long time. <laughs> something like that. And, um, yeah, I just feel re really honoured to, to be here and, um, yeah, okay, to, to answer your question... Um, so how did I get creative? So I guess I was a, a creative kid right from the, from the, the get-go. Uh, I loved art in, in various forms, even if I didn't really know what art was. So growing up in the suburbs, I wasn't exposed to much, you know, son of, of migrant parents. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of art or creativity around me just because it wasn't really a priority. There was a lot of great food, though. A lot of great food, <laughs> as you know, you know, when those leftovers those deliveries. in the, yeah, yeah. the, yeah. the Arga. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it was it. always good. <laughs> so, yeah, and speaking, you know, of, of my mum's amazing cooking, you know, I, I used to love, um, you know, little glimpses of creativity from her where, you know, just the way she'd fold like a peach coloured napkin when we had, you know, a dinner party or, or um, you know, floral arrangements and stuff like that. So, you know, my parents were super hardworking, as, you know, my grandparents usually are. I'd find inspiration, you know, uh, probably my biggest memories of a kid is um, going to the Lego exhibitions in the, in the, in the city. I was just obsessed Lego's the with best. those. Lego is the best. And where else, you know, just TV, you know, shows like The Muppets, you know, still big Jim, uh, Jim Henson fan. Um, Kermit's my spirit animal. Absolutely <laughs> love the, the Muppets. You're not great, um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I was always drawing, always rearranging my room, redecorating, playing with furniture and, you know, basically kind of, you know, rearranging posters on, on, on my wall constantly. And I guess, uh, you know, my parents always encouraged the, the creativity as well, which is, you know, amazing. And I think my first logo I actually designed when I was 12 for um, my, my uncle was opening up a, a cafe in, um, in Ascot Vale and he asked me to design a, a logo for him. And I what still remember it? It, was, what was it? it was called The Den, and, um, <laughs> and which sounds really dodgy. But the, the type was um, like a medieval kind of um, calligraphy kind of style on a sort of on an arch kind of uh, shape. So, um, yeah. Your calligraphy is really good. I started pretty young. Yeah, I know. I've seen it. It's good. <laughs> Still love doing that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then, yeah, just from, um, I guess, as a teenager being obsessed with magazines, pop culture, music videos, and I still actually am, you know, just seeing things like um, I watched the, the latest um, Rihanna 
Savage um, launched the other day and that just got me super excited from a, you know, a design set perspective, music, all that sort of stuff. When it all comes together and creates incredible emotion, I really sort of um, connect with stuff like that. And yeah, as a teenager, just, you know, I remember uh, flicking through a careers book and seeing a little sort of illustration of a guy at a, you know, one of those angled sort of architecture desks and he was yes. wearing, he was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Sure watching the Brady Bunch. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh my God. A repeat. Speaking of the den, I was yeah, obsessed no. with that den. That's same, the dream. Same. That's the dream. And, um, but I really loved, I remember seeing the, the drawing of this little guy who was wearing, you know, jeans and a t-shirt and he just looked so happy drawing away. And it said that he was a graphic designer and that was the first time I'd actually heard of a graphic designer as a profession so I think that was actually my my inspiration for um for starting out as um yeah as a graphic designer that's amazing when you think it's just a number of little things along your childhood that build that absolutely you know and you know it's that thing if you can see it you can be it Absolutely, and yeah. Yeah, I always had that same thing about that house in the Brady Bunch mm. where I'd see the guy who, the architect who worked from home and there was something unbelievable about that because obviously, you know, my dad went out to the hospital or whatever to work. Yeah. There was none of this glamour at home mm. with their father at home working And let's home. not forget um, Bewitched as well. Oh, that he had a he had a great that. you know studio. I think he was an architect, if I remember yeah. correctly. And, oh no, um, was, wasn't he an advertising? No, he was advertising. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Madman style. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's yeah, that's yeah. definitely a bit of inspiration there for yeah. uh, way of living. It is interesting how um, t- American television had such an impact, certainly on you know my generation. Mm. I mean, that's where the fantasy was. That's where the great sets and the great beauty. And all of that mid-century stuff was. So it's no surprise that you're saying that, Absolutely. you know, a lot of that does come from the television. Yeah. And that was the visuals were being fed. So that's, you know, and as a, as a young grounding. kid just hungry for it, I was just kind of, you know, soaking it all up. Yeah. So between that and, you know, a bit of uh, Jim Henson, the Muppets, yeah. you know, <laughs> You're on board. all that sort of stuff. And it's all the stuff I still love, you know, so um, I yeah, love that's, that. that's probably where it started. Where uh, did, yeah, I guess where did, where did it start for you? Oh, look, obviously a lot's been talked about of my childhood, but it definitely a similar, a similar kind of thing to you where I patched my creative career together from things around my house you know my mum would decorate my bedroom and I'd get super excited and she'd let me pick the colors of the walls and I'd arrange things on the mantelpiece like you know Mm, Steph Dalberto was saying she'd do the fruit bowl (laughs) I did that sort of thing I'm the girl that decorated the formal you know I was the girl who won the drama prize (laughs) you know that sort of thing so uh, a history of mate you know being so bored out of my brain in a good mm, way that I mm. make and create things. And that's something I noticed you do as well. Mm. You know, you create and make stuff. And um, when did you start to create things? Was that at like school as well? I think uh, I always made things, you know, I always had, you know, the crayons. I remember I must have been really young, probably, you know, four or five, but making these fish mobiles that were just kind Cute. of fish shape stuffed with you know scrunched up paper stapled all all around hung up with um fishing wire we do the same now and hanging we? it up exactly so i was always keeping busy with stuff like that you know i love it and were there any teachers that you worked with that you felt like at some point at school heard you or I, see something about you and encouraged you in that direction or was it after school that you felt? Yeah, it's funny. There's always that sort of teacher moment, isn't there, with, yeah. with creatives where someone was, you know, spotted by the teacher and they just kind of they felt understood and, and seen and, and that was kind of the, mm. 
trajectory for them. I always loved my art teacher, you know, no matter who, who they were, I was always obsessed with them yeah, and good. tried to spend as much time with them um, as possible. So yeah, I, I'd say all of them, you know, mm. there's a, there's a few, you know, I remember Miss Jane in high school who you know, absolutely loved, but then, you know, Winston, who's actually my lecturer at my first year of uni was um, studying art at Melbourne University. And I've had this amazing lecturer called Winston for um, for graphics, and he recognised um, that you know graphics was was my my strength as, as part of it. And he was actually moving to um, to lecture at Monash Graphic Design, and he basically encouraged me to follow him there, and right. and I did, and um, yeah, it was such a great move. And you know, Winston's still my friend, and um, oh, you know, we hang out every now and again. That's Incredible. actually one of his collages over oh, there. Beautiful. So yeah, uh, it would probably be Winston Thomas who uh, really sort of nurtured the, the actual graphic um, side of things. Beautiful. I yeah. love that. Yeah. So and I think that's a story repeated by a lot of people. Yeah, because I think that's one of those things as a as a creative person, often you don't know which angle to sort of to, to channel. And, you know, when I was studying art, there was just so many different sort of avenues. And, you know, we studied painting, drawing, photography, printmaking, all that sort of stuff, all that fun stuff. But yeah, for me, it was it was clear that um, graphics and obviously I had that sort of... Um, you know, that little um, careers book moment when I was, you know, 13 or whatever. So Fantastic. it was kind of planted in the back of my mind. So, um, yeah, it just felt right. Interesting, you know, it's changed a lot now, but probably, you know, when we decided to have a creative career, it kind of wasn't a thing. It's like, oh, you know, mm. you can't do that. You won't make any money. You won't have a great life. You'll, you know. Exactly. And yeah, yeah <laughs> and I didn't know anyone who yeah. had a creative career yeah no no one (laughs) no one so they're all in Hollywood (laughs) yeah exactly yeah Yeah, absolutely I love it I love hearing those stories thank you all right so we're going to get into the meaty stuff now for everyone and I guess what we want to talk about now is basically us both to describe the different stages of your creative process and in particular your technique so how do you go about getting your vision how do you start the whole process? Talk to me about that. Okay, so the start is my favorite part. It's the, I guess, the most creative. It's the the loosest, and it's that time where you can just kind of just focus on the possibilities. So to me, that's super, super exciting. So I, I guess I'd probably start, you know, once I have my my brief, which is a whole process, you know, to it to itself. Basically, I, you know, just set aside time to go really wide, and I sort of refrain from looking at any references or anything like that and just focus on getting whatever's in my head down on paper or or on screen there's always you know whenever I'm getting briefed I sort of go really quiet because my brain starts really ticking away and then you know then I'll start asking all the questions but yeah I just dedicate time to really getting that all down because that's usually where the gold is you know that's often you know I find that the most you know the right idea is probably the first idea it kind of is uh, isn't it yeah yeah absolutely it's it's probably the first or or second sometimes but usually I find if I have to labor over things too long for the overall concept then I sort of go back to the original it's like oh actually it was it was there right from the start so yeah that that time is really just quite raw and it's just me thinking about you know the the possibilities and where, where do you do that I kind of do it anywhere really generally studio sitting down um you know a pen and paper um or sometimes on on screen to to get get things down but it is just a really sort of basic kind of form where I just try to you know to stay pure and really just think about what 
I'm trying to achieve and, and, and get, get those initial thoughts down. And that can sometimes be a five-minute thing. It can be hours, you know. It sort of really, really depends on the project or, or yeah, what, what that, you know, that, that starting kind of um, inkling of an idea could be. And it is so interesting that the quality of an idea has nothing to do with the time no. it took to happen. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's pure thought that is, the, as you said, the gold. It's not the time that it took you to do it. Totally. And I often do get worried if it takes too long to, to, to get to that point. Yeah, because you haven't got it yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and obviously the idea is just part of it. It's, you know, fleshing out and how it actually comes to life is where you really have to put the work in. But I guess, so let's say that sort of moment lasts, you know, it could be, let's say it is five minutes. And then, I'd, you know, the next phase is probably, you know, I, I kind of call it the creative spank bank. Um, and this is actually something I've learned from you. You you wouldn't call it that. I know you wouldn't. Okay. Tell me about that, Ross. But that's when it's kind of almost like a library of, um, you know, thoughts, visuals, concepts that you've you've got in the back of your head that you've collected over the years, things that you love. You yeah. don't really know why you love them or where they're going to sort of manifest. But, um, yeah, and I think you're kind of like the master of this where you've got all these things. You know, I remember your, your pinboard in, um, in gloss um, that just had these kind of, you know, a little piece of ribbon attached to it or, you know, just random things ripped out of magazines or, you know, a, a leaf that you found <laughs> on one of your walks or something like that. So it, it really is um, kind of tapping into the things that you love uh, and bringing them into a project. And I, I just find that everything that's in that spank bank of of um, yeah. of things you end up Hashtag. using in, in a way you know in one way or another so whether it's as i was saying before color a shape uh it could be could be anything just a general sort of vibe you'll end up using it and it could be years down the track where you use it it could be you know the following day and you might use it in a completely different way but often you know it also happens when i get briefed you know a, a little spark will kind of come you know pop up in my head of thinking oh this is when you get to use that thing this that is, you've always this, this is the is moment. The moment. How exciting is that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think the the Amanda Henderson. Um, cre- uh, yeah, we'll give it a different name for for, for you. <laughs> <That's awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's when you reach back into that and and discover all these amazing things that you can draw on. Um, is really exciting. So after that sort of that 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 time of kind of rawness, then you get into into that and that's when you start sort of building, you know, the yeah. aesthetic the sort of the yeah. idea of things. And it's that sort of, you know, what I call pulling from the core. Mm. It's like absolutely. Um, and, you know, I'm really interested to know what are your core loves? Mm. What are the things that you just keep, signature things that just keep coming out of you? Yeah. You know, like, you know, when we talked about gloss, what are the things, you know, it's always big it always feels warm it feel you know what what's your creative core what is it yeah that's a, a great question and i i sort of did a bit of um probably when lockdown started a bit of searching for that um and i did that through um just painting and, and sculpture and just going kind of uh really sort of primitive with that and giving myself you know a, a creative outlet with no brief or Beautiful. no real intention i didn't you know i wasn't creating art to to show anybody it was just Something to, to, something to do. I guess through that, I kind of really kind of, uh, I guess it crystallized what my aesthetic is. Uh, and not to say I apply to every project that I do. Sometimes no. I do. Sometimes I, I don't need to. But there's, there's always a part of me in every project I do. I think that's the way you, 
you kind of love what you work on because there there has to be that that element that you love within it. Mm. And certainly, you know, all of those amazing renders you did for us and the graphics always felt like you. They yeah. had this sort of, um, you know, Ed the Tomb or whatever it was. Yeah, that exactly. Felt like Ross did that. You could tell. It was somehow elevated, chic, but always very cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, agreed use of colour palette that we'd always agree on. Absolutely. You know, very important that. <laughs> and I remember a lecturer at um, at graphic design school um, sort of once said, Ross, I've never seen someone use so much brown in their artwork, but somehow it works. And it's funny, brown is just a consistent thing through through my career. And your life. You've got a chocolate yeah, I've, I've got a Yeah, I've got, I've got lots of brown happening. Um, and you know, there's a bit of brown in um, in the next autumn winter color palette um, for DJ. So that's, that's pretty exciting. <laughs> no more corporate secrets. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think through creating art, um, I, I really discovered you know uh, m- what my aesthetic for for color is and for shape as well. And there is you know there's definitely you know nods to the Brady Bunch and the Bewitched <laughs> House. You know, hundred percent. You know, that sort of slightly modernist um, aesthetic is 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 in there. It's also graphic and pretty bold as, as well and, and layered and, and all that sort of stuff. So so for me, that was a really nice uh, way to sort of discover what what my aesthetic is. Core is, yeah. yeah. And I feel like once you've got that, you know, the future's happened. You just have to distribute it mm. in whatever form it takes. And, you know, really interested to hear that you said that, you know, you were creating new stuff just for the hell of it, really. Mm, And I really like that because that shows growth. You know, that shows your willingness to learn new stuff and to be comfortable with doing maybe something that, you know, because obviously everything you do is highly (laughs) polished, you know, to do something that you're a bit shit at is a great thing. It moves you forward. It's like, okay, I'm moving forward. I'm not just stale. Exactly. You know, and I, I love that. And that's... You know, you know, I bang on about renewal all the time. Mm. That's the key to it. I feel like is the fact that you can be happy to make a mess, but give it a go. Absolutely, you know, born to try is a great thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, I yeah, really love it. And how would I guess? Yeah, same question to you. How would you describe your aesthetic style? Oh, my my core is about movement. Mm-hmm. You know, because obviously I'm obsessed with the set thing. Being a VMer, not so much a graphic designer, my thing is always about the scene, you know, the set, the scene, how that feels, what that is, and then the movement within it, Mm -hmm. you know, obsessed with mobiles, obsessed with anything movement implied or not, you know, everything's big that we do. It's usually a single gesture and then quite simple, you know, everything falls away from that. Mm. You know, we show people what we want them to look at and forget the rest. Um, and our colour palette is, it's really interesting actually. A lot of people, you know, with our marquees will say to us, you know, actually a man would be really happy to be in this environment. <laughs> and um, Steph and Jahan and Luce and we're like, actually we do, do design, you know, a bit in a manly way yeah. but with this femininity squashed over the top. So you'll notice all of our um, works have this sort of clean design base but then we'll add, you know, a little bit of fluoro, a little bit of mid-tone, you know, and a bit of glitter probably, sparkly <laughs> or dust, sparkle dust or sci-fi romance or whatever it is with our own femininity over the top. So it's like I feel like our core is a, is sort of strong 
luxurious um, but then fragile and arid or pretty as well. It's really interesting how you sort of build that over time and can articulate it over time. You know, when we were first doing it, you know, back in 2006, like the Moet thing, you know, the big barrel over the top and the big chandelier, you know, the big elements were there and then that soft blue and all of that sort of stuff. But we couldn't put a name on it back then. Now I can see what I'm doing. I'm not just in it. Um, which is great. Exactly. Right? Yep. Yeah. No, I always love your um, hashtag preferred colour palette posts <laughs> on social media. <laughs> well, they're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> they are everywhere. You just have to look for them, don't you? Absolutely. Just getting back onto this, the, the creative process, I guess I'd like to talk a little bit about the vision and seeing the end first. I think um, just to describe, I think one of the things I try and do early up is to make the dream as big as possible, is not to... Uh, limit yourself, make it up as you go along. And I guess if you can see the end first, it can be anything you want it can be to be. You can make that up. And I really like that one. So I think, you know, to have a big dream in the beginning is actually the most important thing. Absolutely. Um, and I, I remember, um, yeah, working in the, in the gloss studio and right next to my desk was the, uh, the framed print that said, um, design like you don't have to build it and, and pay for Sorry. it and that you know I think that was a real motto for me and it, it really worked and I think you know uh, when I when I worked for you I was allowed to to go you know crazy and just kind of dream things up and um, not worry too much about building it or, or paying for it because other people worry about that so. <laughs> and look it, it's not that we don't have to do all that other stuff because ultimately we work with budgets and timelines mm, and we have absolutely. to deliver. But in the first stages, don't crush the ideas. Mm. Let them be there for as long as possible. Let them grow. Let everyone explore them because that's how you get a better idea, I feel like. Um, um, so starting creating something that if money, time, you know, and logistics were no object. I think that's a really great starting point. And I guess that, you know, evolution over certainty, go and explore where you don't know what's going to happen is where the good stuff is. That's where the, Absolutely. you know, the gold is as well. Um, and, you know, try to, you know, um, use as much of your right brain as you can in the early stages, get rid of all, you know, the logistic-y things, mm -hmm. just give yourself that permission which, you know, I talked it's about with fun. Joel in our first, in our preface, I think it's pretty important. And, you know, bring your inner child to play. I mean, I love that um, it's not childish, it's imaginative, Absolutely. you know, and I love the way that, you know, you can go to Tokyo and all the men on the trains have got little cartoon characters coming off their phones, you know, and not, and they think it's great. They think it's okay, you know, Um I love that, that they can be childish, but, you know, yeah, it's fun. And I think that's, that's really, <clears throat> excuse me, exciting as well. So, Ross, how can designing and making things inform your vision? So, for me, um, creativity is hands-on. Um, it's a process. Uh, it's about experimenting, testing, and most importantly, playing, which we've probably touched on about yeah, a few times then. during this chat and also you've got to put the work in you know um it, nothing great comes easy so putting things to the test really kind of interrogating what you're doing and um just yeah having having fun with it you know giving yourself permission to play often you know it's about chipping away at it so you'll have your initial concept or initial thought or visual but 
you need to develop it and um, chipping away at it can can be a bit of a process and then you know experimentation which can often be an emotional roller coaster you know mm. sometimes you do something that looks absolutely terrible <laughs> and then sometimes you've got a winning moment so it's about sort of kind of working through that and you know there's always those roller coaster moments it, it never yeah. just is is perfect from from the start and i've noticed that you're really good with the roller coaster <laughs> yeah. you know how to flatten it out what is it you know we all know the creative process this is great this is great this is hard. I'm no good at this. This is terrible. Oh, maybe if we did this. Oh, this is great. I'm amazing. Mm. That's fabulous. <laughs> we all know that roller coaster. Yeah. We, you know, that's something, I guess that's another question that we've got later, but how do you smooth that over? I think it's about understanding that it's just part of the process and you'll you'll get there in the end, you know. So it's um yeah, you gotta ride you gotta ride those Go lows and think that you're shit but um <laughs> you know you'll you'll come out in the in the end and you've got to trust your instincts as well so um yeah totally. it's all it's all part of the it's all part of the fun of being a, a creative we love to sort of torture ourselves in that you know that part is a bit torturous but you know that's okay we're <laughs> and i've found one thing that makes that better um and this is this thing about when you're designing in a team what's mm. really amazing is when you all have the same vision, like I can remember giving, you know, getting you to draw a render of something and then I'd come over to your computer and you'd taken that idea and just through your work and what you did and the work that mm, you talk about, mm. all of a sudden that vision had evolved into something amazing. So, um, you know, working with other people, I feel it's what I call like, designed by doing as well so mm. yes you can see the end first but this work that you talk about where you do stuff create stuff make stuff talk to people and bring it together is actually what evolves the design um and and furthers it which is you know pretty amazing and you get kind of that instant reward from that yeah and absolutely. that i find always oh right we're on the right task and that alleviates some of that shitness <laughs> you know exactly. all of a sudden it's like okay, we've turned that wheels, we've stopped the procrastination, we do know what we're doing, we've mm. got the seed of that idea and then we, you know. Yeah, you've got to back yeah. yourself. You've got to have, yeah, a, bit of, totally. have a bit of faith. And also, you know, you've been asked to to do this project so yeah. someone's got faith in you from, from, yeah. from the get-go. <laughs> Somewhere. So, you know, trust in that. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I think as you said, you know, it, it is drawing it and testing it to see if, you know, if it, if it actually works as a, as a visual, as a visual, sorry. Uh, and, you know, I get really excited when um, my senior creative, Halem, um, he sometimes makes concepts at, at, like scale miniature models of, Beautiful. Of, the, of, you know, window concepts or whatever. Love that. And I always get so excited because it's just like such an art form and they're just so beautiful um, as, as little kind of sculptures in themselves. So things like that just really help to, to build an idea and just kind of, um, you know, that's when you like, yes, that we're, we're on the right track. Mm, beautiful. I love it. So let's just quickly talk about, I guess, the stages now in succession of how it starts and how it moves through the creative process. So, you know, there's a lot of big development that has to happen. And, you know, I've got a list of words down here um, that we'll just run through very quickly. Design by speech. Mm. Talk to me about that, it, you know. Yeah, so design by speech, I guess, is about, first of all, really listening to the brief and understanding um, what needs to be achieved. 
and just picking up on conversations like you know get you know whether it's the client or the creatives around you or anyone you know I even love speaking to the finance guys or whatever about their take on certain things mm, and you know mm. you don't have to 100% listen to everything or take everything on board but it, you know I just love getting perspectives on on things from from different people and um yeah talking about it and I know you know when um you know when I was at Gloss the conversations around the table were probably the most important part of 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 the creative where we just kind of talk about it for a while and then um you know everyone would sort of go off and I'd you know do my drawings and you know Steph would do her, her mood board and things would just kind of evolve together but it all kind of stemmed from a conversation mm, I agree mm, and mm. one thing that Steph Delberto talked about when we did the mood board episode was how the mood board is given meaning apart from the visual by the words that accompany it. Mm. And I guess that's the story that we're going to um, talk to people about so they understand this concept because every concept has to be communicated. So I think um, I agree design by speech Absolutely. is, is yeah. a, like one of the first things. Yeah, know, I think so. As well. Yeah, and I, I'm really, I don't know whether it's a phase at the moment, but I'm really loving words. So maybe I'm kind of, there's a bit of image fatigue or something, you know, like when I... <laughs> When I jump onto Pinterest, there's just so much stuff on there. And then, you know, words I can just kind of sit alone, you know, or with the team mm. and, and sort of um, bash some words out. And, you know, that really starts building, you know, the idea as well. So, um, yeah, definitely sometimes when I'm stuck, you know, for, for visual um, cues or inspiration, I'll definitely go to words. But it's funny how a word can spark a visual in your mm, head. Mm, absolutely. You know, it's like you're, when you say that word, you're seeing it in your head. Absolutely. And I always, um, you know, I guess crystallize a concept with a manifesto. So this kind of, you know, when I'm presenting work, there will always be a paragraph of two of on what it's all about, what the concept is, and really, um, you know, try to make it as poetic and sometimes it depends on the job, but sometimes, you know, emotional kind of language can really get people in, get them on board and help them to connect with an idea as well. I've got things, words down now like collaborate, which I think is kind of obvious. We've talked about that in the sense of working with people is everything. Absolutely. You know, yeah. And, I, yeah. and interesting now that you're working with huge teams. Mm. I mean, you're one of the people I know with the most diverse um, career history in terms of working with small teams, large teams, and I feel like that experience, uh, you know, in all of those organisations must have built up a really good picture of, you know, how to work with teams as well. Absolutely. And there's, you know, there's, there's kind of, there's great things about working with a, a big team. And then there's also, you know, the, the great things about working with a, a small team as well. So it's kind of uh, where you can almost create both worlds in one scenario, which I th think I've done in my current role, uh, is, is kind of the, the dream. Great. Yeah. We love it. Uh, other words I've got down here is site information and research. I love site information. Mm. I think once you've got that idea and then all of a sudden you go to site you get a whole new different perspective on the creative. And once again, I feel like that's something that moves the idea forward as well. Absolutely. Yeah. There's nothing like looking at a blank canvas to, to sort of inspire an idea as well. You know, I love doing that. You know, I want to see, you know, what the page looks like or what, um, what the window looks like, you know, before we actually start creating. I remember when we did the underground car park mm. for a, as a fashion set at Melbourne Uni and Jahan and I went to the side 
and we arrived there and I just like my heart literally started to beat faster with the possibility. Absolutely. I knew that this demanded something of me, like don't waste this opportunity just and instantly I could see almost instantly, you know, as soon as we'd finished that site visit, I knew, okay, we're doing this. Let's just draw that now. Yeah. Yeah, and that excitement and I remember you talking to me saying your dad worked at Melbourne Mm, Uni and mm. that you knew that car park. And then we had another discussion and then you did the renders for that show and they were absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, And for me, that was one of those kind of childhood moments where, um, yeah, my dad used to work at Melbourne Uni and, you know, whenever I pulled a sickie or sometimes on Saturdays (laughs) I go to work with him and he'd park in that car park. That's amazing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he'd park there and I just, I was always obsessed with it as, as a child kind of thing. So. And to bring that to life, you know, as a few years ago as an adult dream moment and make it fashion, you know, was, was pretty special. So that was, that was cool. That was a really great moment. That was so much fun. The zeitgeist. Talk to me about the zeitgeist. The zeitgeist. So that is something that there's always that sort of moment where, uh, I guess as part of the, the creative process where you tap into what's going on in the world. And uh, it's funny when you've, when you've got an idea or a sort of a, a thought in, in, your, in your head, it, it, it's that moment where, you know, like when you're, gonna, when you're going to buy a car and, you know, you've decided you're, you're going to buy a, a Mercedes and then all of a sudden on the streets, there's just Mercedes everywhere. So it's kind of that thing when you've got a thought, you actually start seeing it out there in the zeitgeist absolutely everywhere. And there's always that sort of time, uh, that moment in, you know, when I'm working on a, a project where I become sort of obsessed <laughs> with it and, you know, everything I eat, drink, Squiggle. see, yeah, it just kind of, it's, it's there. Uh, and that's how I think, um, you know, your idea sort of grows and builds and gets informed by all these things that are happening in the zeitgeist. And I feel if there's a zeitgeist, you need to pay attention to it. Absolutely. It doesn't mean you have to bring it into everything you do, but I feel like that's the part of understanding what the present is doing. Mm-hmm. And as you know, that's one of my favorite sayings. Actually, so here's my quote now before yep. the end. <laughs> okay. Is George Jensen, he had that little sign in his studio, don't follow fashion, but be guided by the present if you want to stay young in the struggle. Oh, beautiful. And I adore that, wow. for, you know, fashion and everything. But yeah. what that says to me is, Know what's going on now. Decide if it's for you, if you want to bring it into your orbit, but know what's going on. So I think, you know, the thing about the zeitgeist and understanding what's going on is is key to renewal Absolutely. and lo- creative longevity, yeah. I guess, you know. And I always get a kick out of how others have interpreted the, the zeitgeist as well. Uh, it's always, yeah, I love it. I really get a kick out of that. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, absolutely. You've got to listen to the, the zeitgeist. And often that zeitgeist is in fashion. Yeah, absolutely. It almost always is. Yeah. Talk to me about benchmarking. So as you know, we often get asked, you know, what's the benchmark for this? And it sort of is asking you to, can you find an example of this has been done before when often... As you know, we're doing stuff that hasn't been done before. How do you handle that? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think it's kind of like a bit of a balance. Sometimes you need to give, I guess, clients or internal stakeholders for you know those that work in house a bit of security. So if you say, oh, you know, these guys have, if you if, if you show them real life examples of things that you um, want to create for them that obviously you know aren't exactly the same, but something where if they see it, they can be like, oh, okay that's kind of 
that's been successful before. So what we do here will, will basically help. It will help it be successful as, as well. And it's about over time your relationship with your client, about them trusting you. Yeah. And you go, look, this hasn't been done before. But as you know, if you put the right ingredients together, boom. Exactly. Good, new stuff happens. And that's once again where the gold is. And that's that's the tricky part. And, and you know, as I was saying before, when you, you're creating something really unique, it's 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 hard. You know, you can't actually... Those benchmarks aren't necessarily there, but if you can you're find kind them. of similar, yeah, you're making the <laughs> benchmarks. But yeah, you know, trust obviously um, is is really key. And I know, you know, I've seen you with multiple clients where they, you know, they really do trust you. And obviously, that's you know got to do with the the relationships and and time spent with them, and obviously having projects that are super successful as well really sort of helps. Gives everyone confidence, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's no, good. We'll talk about confidence later. Mm, I've got down mm. here mood boards, floor plans, illustrations, and renders. Talk to me about this package then that you create as part of this process. Okay, we've got the amazing idea, and then we're committing it to some kind of document because ultimately you have to share that how does that go for you absolutely I love presentations like I love putting them together because that really kind of um I guess captures the whole idea in one really neat PDF, you know, or, or, or a printout, whatever, whatever it is. Our work here is done. Exactly. And that's when, you know, I'm, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm a maker. And for me, sometimes a, a presentation is, you know, you're making something. And, you know, what I love about putting presentations together and, you know, my, my poor team are probably sick of um, having to put presentations together. But uh, I love kind of always sort of reinforcing what the intention of the project is. So that's always at the start. You know, when you start a yoga class, you set your intention for for that particular class. I, I do that with a project as well. So get on the same page. Everyone understands this is actually what we're trying to achieve and everyone is, um, I guess, held accountable for, for that um, at the start. And then, you know, that's where you get to sort of mix your, your you know, your, your beautiful uh, visual references, your pictures, your drawings with words as, as well. And often when you're presenting things, you know, the, the client will, will ask for a PDF and then you don't know where that PDF is going to go. <laughs> where it's going to be so, thrown around. And it gets thrown around mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, you want the, you want the work to, to, to have its best chance of, of um, success. And, um, you know, so you need to annotate, you know, all your, all your drawings and all that sort of stuff and really describe what um, things actually are so they don't get taken out of context and all that sort of stuff. So, and I often, you know, as being a fan of creating presentations, I do them for myself sometimes, you know, even just to, I guess, um, package my own thoughts on, on certain things. So even if I know I will never share it with anyone, whether it's a client or, you know, my team or whatever, just for myself, I find creating presentations together where you're actually outlining you know, what you want to achieve and, and all those kinds of things and just, you know, one place where all your, you know, your references are and all that sort of stuff are, are, are in there. And it kind of becomes the whole package of your vision, I guess. Absolutely. And, I, you know, one thing I find that's really useful is as you go along, checking back, we often add mm. into that original presentation. We mm. kind of keep it updated because obviously we need to share it with clients, but we keep it updated and then as it goes along, particularly, you know, the bits where it all falls apart before it comes back together <laughs> yep. and you're in that valley, you can check back and go, is the heart still beating right? You know, and if it's not, you can go, hang on, this is where we are. This is our true north. Let's 
you know, keep the faith. Mm-hmm. Let's keep going with that and just drive through. And then, uh, you know, I think the document is so much a part of delivering the vision and holding it to the end. I mean, we print it out. Jahan will get it, you know, put it in the big black packet. Yes, the famous black <laughs> the envelopes. Famous black packet. Yeah. <laughs> Or on site, you know, in a big A3 thing that all the the casuals can look at, see what they'll be doing for the next three days. So it becomes just this little Bible, I guess, or, you know, almost like you said, manifesto Mm. that you follow through the project. And, you know, in the last, um, in our studio before COVID, when we'd finish a project, we actually print it out and put the entire thing on the wall Mm, just so we could appreciate the body of the work work, that we put into Mm. it. And it's, I don't know, it's sort of grateful and happy and rewarding and like, wow, we did that. And I think that's, that's pretty exciting as well. So we've got this amazing idea now, Ross, and we have to present it you know, next week to a CEO, a marketing manager, a VM manager, how do we go in and sell the dream? Talk to me about how you sell the dream. So I'm not a salesman by any stretch of the imagination, but if I love what I'm presenting, then it's great. I actually sort of enjoy it. I get excited about it. And yeah, if I love it, it will definitely come across in the presentation. And hopefully, you know, that sort of that that joy will rub off (laughs) onto uh, whoever I'm presenting it to. So um, yeah, I guess my answer to that is, you know, I have to have to love it. You know, that's that's key. It has to feel authentic. I, I really hate presenting things that I don't believe in, which kind of really happens. Thank God for that. I'd say the same. Mm. Like I never really think of myself as selling, mm. you know, um, anything. It's more that I need to talk about my idea. Maybe it inspires others to like that idea as well or fall in love with the idea. And then we can all create something together. So I think the presenting part of what you do is the underlying thing is to bring people on board with that idea if they like it. And the other thing is I try not to tell people they're going to like it. It's up to them to decide if they like it or not. Yeah. So it's not, I don't feel like I'm selling stuff, but at the same time, you know, I've had, I've been in meetings. I took my niece once who was here on, um, what do they call it, work experience. Mm-hmm. And we went to a meeting where I thought we were just going to be talking to two officials, you know, about serviettes and flowers. <laughs> and we got in there and there were 15 people. Oh, my God. I know. It was like from brand managers, uh, CFOs and everyone. And everyone was there to talk about the flowers and the and the napkins. Wow. So I was just like, okay. You know, go bigger. Yeah. So I just talked about it. I just said what I was going to do, what I thought would be great, sat down, you know, and then, you know, one of the main team leaders just went, oh, yeah, that's amazing. And everyone just like, oh, uh, yeah, exactly. It's all it takes. It. Exactly. You know, it just takes one brave person to go, actually, I like that too. Yeah. But then I got in the car um, with my niece and she goes, wow, they didn't give back much, did they? And I'm like, nah. But you just have to, she said, like, I noticed you just kept going, kept, this is what I love, this is what we can do, and Mm. just hold the line with what you believe in. And everyone just went, yeah, okay, but she's right. They didn't give me anything, you know, and often 
you can freak your second guess yourself. So I guess my advice about selling the dream is hold your face. Keep talking. Keep, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't talk too much though. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, be happy with the pause exactly. and happy to sit down and happy to receive other people's feedback. Yeah, there's a few, you know? yeah, lots of good kind of points in there. One thing that I kind of always tell myself is that this is probably, you know, when a creative is presenting, you know, to, to a business, this is kind of like the fun part for them. This is the highlight of their day or their week. So they're, totally. they're actually excited and they want to be somewhat entertained. So I think that sort of really feeds into it. So it's important to actually, you know, you've got a responsibility to bring the energy as well. Totally. Not that you necessarily need to be an entertainer because I'm certainly not, but you, know, you, need to, you know, you need to try to keep it sort of fun and light. And I know whenever... You know, I've seen you in action and you just get the whole room um, feeling really excited and happy and, you know, there's always laughter, there's always kind of jokes and it just feels really, you know, lighthearted even sometimes when we're talking about really kind of more serious sides of things. So, yeah, I, I think um, that's that's really important to to try to, um, yeah, keep it keep it fun as well yeah, where definitely. possible. Mm. And, look, there might be some feedback that you don't like in that but you yeah. can deal with it and you, yeah, uh, yeah i think feedback's a whole probably another whole conversation yes. and a whole other podcast <laughs> as we said uh, with bruce series. and steph especially when we think they're wrong <laughs> exactly absolutely but um I love it. yeah i think feedback you know as they say feedback is a gift and it you know i think it actually is mm. it makes things better usually yeah and it's often you know i kind of get scared if i get zero feedback and everything's just approved straight away that's always pretty freaky because it's like are they really you know, if they haven't asked any interesting know? questions or anything like that, you know, so I love getting asked lots of questions when I'm presenting things because it shows that they're uh, engaged and they're thinking ahead of, you know, you know, issues that may arise or anything like that. So. And threads of the creative process that might feed out to the areas that they look after because mm. they'll be, you know, that audience is thinking about whether it's digital or store or whatever it is, they're thinking about how is this concept going to come into my world? How can I make this amazing for my customers through my section or whatever it is? So um, it's great when they come up with questions because it means they're, they're taking that idea on board. They're That's thinking. gold. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I've noticed something, Ross, and that's that creative people who, um, you know, are pretty consistent in putting themselves out there every day. They're contributing and they're giving, even when their ideas are not guaranteed to be well received. Were you always this confident? And where did you get your creative courage from? Not at all. I'm, <laughs> I'm generally a fairly, you know, a, a shy, classic sort of creative introverted person. But I also like torturing myself by putting myself out there. <laughs> it's one of those things, you know. Like even, today. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, even, you know, as a kid, I was so shy as a kid, but then I'd always be front and center at school plays <laughs> and all that I sort of that. stuff. And I'd be up there thinking, how do I get myself into this situation? But then, you know, at the end of the day, I'd really enjoy it. So I, I guess my confidence was kind of built over time. Um, I remember my, I remember doing work experience when I was probably about 17 at uh, a studio called Cotolino Ellett, who did sort of amazing branding work. And uh, I designed a logo for a, a catering business and, and I showed, um, his name was Mimo Cotolino, um, the creative director, and he basically kind of gave me some some negative feedback, which up until then I hadn't really 
been used to getting negative feedback. I was always, you Your know, mum always says it's fabulous. Exactly. You know, our teacher was always happy with it, that sort of thing. So, uh, and I remember almost, you know, being in tears over it. But then I went away and, you know, uh, I guess refined that logo and ended up winning a MADC award. So uh, I guess Amazing. kind of early on, I understood the role of feedback and to, um, yeah, to, to, I guess to, to listen. So I guess, yeah, confidence for me comes from also knowing that I've put the work into a project that really helps. You know, if I put the thought and the time, uh, I've given it my best, then I feel like I'm super confident. And yeah, I, I think that really comes across when, um, you know, whenever I share it with other people that, yeah, I've, I've, I've really put in the work. Mm, and you've backed yourself. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Got to back yeah. yourself. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, when I think of confidence and that sort of thing, I feel like, and courage, I think when you're young and when you're first starting out, you're often scared shitless, mm. but you're brave. Mm. You bumble ahead and do it anyway mm -hmm. because you've got no other choice. Exactly. <laughs> and I feel like when you're more experienced, you've got technique and process to support you. So it only gets better. And then the more wins you have, the more confidence you have when you do it. Mm. And I feel like, um, and this is my quote, <laughs> another one. <laughs> another one. <laughs> I'm lining them up today. <laughs> so I really love um, this idea of sort of going into the unknown. And I think it was Frank Geary who said, you've got to bumble in into the unknown. And I really like that as kind of a manifesto for courage and just um, going ahead, doing it anyway, even if you don't know what you're doing, better done than perfect and you'll pick up what you need to on the ride. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I find sometimes I need to tell myself that as well. Yeah. A bit of blind ambition always, yeah. uh, always helps. Fake it till we make it. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So I've got two questions for you now. The last ones, back of house. Or front of house. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty obvious that um, I'm back of house. But, you know, when I really think about that question, I kind of want to do both. <laughs> can, can I have both? Of course you can. You know, I still want to get, up, get um, all dressed up for the party and, um, you know, and, and, and have fun. But also I kind of want to be anonymous at the party, you know. Well, you're always anonymous, but you, you still look great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what's your favorite quote? Okay, so my favourite quote, I'm going to, you know, the, the, the top for this one. Uh, it's an Albert Einstein quote uh, and it's creativity is intelligence having fun. Um, for me, this kind of just, you know, it ticks all the boxes. You know, for, for me, it's about, you know, it's about problem solving. Um, creativity is not just decoration or, or pretty pictures. It actually is uh, about intelligence and how intelligence can sort of manifest into, into visuals. Um, and you know, it, it's got the word fun in it as well. And you know, another theme for, for what we've been talking about, um, is, you know, it, it needs to be fun. And I think if lockdowns taught us anything, you know, when we're deprived of fun, that's kind of not a great thing. So yeah, we all need to have a bit of fun in our lives. That is a brilliant quote. Thank you so much for being here today. It's just been delightful. I've learned even more about you. I thought I knew everything, <laughs> but now I know even more. And, um, you're coming back to talk about creative process, all the practical stuff, um, you know, about careers and all of that. So looking forward to talking to you about that as well. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Ross.